Hi, my name is Christian Chito, and I am the Program Advisor at Kondisi Space for Peace, an international peacebuilding organization registered in Denmark. We work to facilitate change in the international aid and peacebuilding system and shift power to local actors. Today, we'll discuss Kondisi Space for Peace's new publication on the Chain of Influence Framework. And to enter in this discussion, I am joined by Mia Rosda. Mia, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Christian. My name is Mia, Mia Rostein, and I'm director of uh, this organization, Conducive Space for Peace. What is relevant here, I guess, is that I worked in a number of international organizations and also working very closely with local peace builders. And I've seen the, the international system from the inside, the aid system, and, and the, well, the broader aid system, both uh, international NGOs, donors, and so forth. And this has prompted me to establish conducive space for peace some years back. And with that focus specifically to, to engage in facilitating systems change for locally led peace building and development. That is quite a very good introduction. And thank you, Mia, for joining this call and also for sharing a little bit more about CSP, Conducive Space for Peace. But maybe a question that stands to the mind of most of our listeners right now is why is it even relevant to change the global peace building and aid system? Why is local leadership and locally led peace building important? I think I'll start with your second question. Locally led peace building and local leadership. And here I should emphasize that that is seen differently than the whole agenda of localization, which in a sense indicates that international actors are, are in the lead. Uh, focusing on local leadership is very important. We know that locally led uh, peace building is the core of, of promoting sustainable peace. Local peace builders are there in the country, in the context. They know the context, they're legitimate actors, they're respected, they're there for the long term, and they know what they're doing. They can navigate the, the local politics, the national politics, and they're experts in peace building. So we know that focusing on supporting local peace builders is key to, to sustainable peace. The first question you asked uh, is kind of a consequence of that, that currently the international system is not very good at supporting local peace builders and local development actors. Currently, there are actually a, a small part of the fund, for example, reaches local peace builders. Um, it's in different ways of measuring that, but by some measures, it's between one and 5% of the funds dedicated to peace building. And this is no different than in the broader development field, uh, even in the humanitarian field, it's between 2.4 and 3.2, I think, uh, even though the goal is 25% as outlined in the grand bargain. So these are all numbers, of course, but it's also about the, the quality of support. It's about actually enabling space rather than coming with donor set priorities, you know, bringing in international experts who actually, of course, do not know as much as the local peace builders, neither about the context nor about peace building. And in that way, it's, it's really about changing the international system to better meet the needs of local peace builders and to reorganize itself. Uh, to change and transform in order to meet these needs, which currently could be done much better. 
indeed changing how the international aid or peacebuilding system is functioning in order to meet the needs of local peacebuilders is at the very core of the work of Conducive Space for Peace. And as we introduced in the call today, we're also looking at the latest publication of Conducive Space for Peace on the Chain of Influence Framework. I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit what is the core logic of this latest publication? Yes, uh, it's kind of a new way of thinking about system change and understanding the international system. It tries to bring about an analytical framework for understanding how funding and power and influence translates and is transferred through the system, through the different levels of the system. And here I'm talking about the system as international and bilateral donors, uh, UN agencies, international NGOs, even private foundations, consultancies, and so forth. All of them, of course, have a role to play, and the funds travel through these different organizations with sometimes uh, bilateral donors setting some priorities and increasingly based on, on the donor national priorities for the type of support that they provide for the different areas and thematic areas of priority and a certain amount, of course. They also set up results-based framework and certain measures of accountability. When that travels through, let's just simplify to an international organization, an INGO, those same requirements has to be abided by. And therefore, when INGOs engage with national and local organizations, they have to say, well, you know, you have to write a proposal in this way. You have to, and we can help you, but you have to uh, meet and measure and evaluate by these indicators and, and these types of results. And sometimes even saying, well, you know, even if this is your analysis of the context and this is the biggest and most important priority, there's actually only funds for this thematic area in this particular context. And that, of course, then reduces the leadership and the space for, for leading uh, by local peace builders and local development, human rights and other actors and people, organizations at the local and national level in conflict-affected context. But this kind of this, this is both the, the analytical using this chain of influence framework as a way of understanding the system, but it's also a way of providing a framework for doing something about these challenges. So actually um, saying, well, systems change to better meet the needs of local actors, local peace builders. That's done by starting with the needs of local peace builders and then going up and saying, okay, what does national NGOs need to do differently if they're the next link from local peace builders? What do uh, international organizations need to do differently. And how does that, for example, international program director, how does he make sure that monitoring and evaluation uh, is also changed in a way to accommodate these needs, that contracts, that finance systems and so forth is also accommodating this. And that the international organization move on and engage with the bilateral donors to explain, well, when these are the requirements you set out for, for the funds, or the priorities you embed in uh, in the funding and in the mechanisms, then these are the consequences, and this is what we advise you to change. So it's also we call it, you know, look up. 
So anyone in the system needs to look to the level above them or to other parts of the organizations or to the next link in this funding and organized systems change chain. Uh, so and say, well, if I need to change this, then you need to allow, you know, change these other things in order to allow me to, to do what I need to do. So that's kind of the logic. So on the one side, it's an analytical framework. On the other side, it's a framework that will allow people to understand how can they change the system to better enable local leadership and locally led peace building. I like what you just actually uh, said there, Mia, and uh, I think this is a really good way of even introducing the framework to our listeners, that it is both an analytical framework to understand the international aid and peace building system, but on the other hand, it also offers possible avenues to changing this system in a way that advances local leadership and locally led peace building. One thing that I came across during my reading of the publication is that you reference as well Susanna Campbell's work. And I was just wondering how does this new approach uh, that CSP has come up with add or complement to Susanna's thinking? Thank you for that question. I'm, you know, highly inspired by Susanna Campbell and her thinking. And so what she's doing is looking at UN organizations, bilateral donors, and international organizations to look at how do they innovate? How do people within these institutions innovate to be better able to accommodate the needs of local actors, but also uh, thereby promoting sustainable peace in a much better way, in a much more, well, sustainable way? Then what she focused on is actually people within these institutions. And sometimes she call them rule breakers. How can they, while the rules sometimes circumvent and work against them doing what they consider the right thing and the best thing uh, in providing the most relevant support. So she kind of focuses on this is where the change lies, that people do something different and break the rule of the system. Um, what we're trying to do is thinking beyond systems innovations, where certain people within certain mechanisms do something differently. Because actually, when we look at the broader system and all the organizations, actually being very creative and innovating new ways of working. But it's mostly linked to single mechanisms in a single country. And it's very difficult to scale or translate that into other contexts or other parts of the system if this vertical chain within the institutions and between institutions is not addressed. So we're kind of arguing that you need to add a layer to this more horizontal change and systems innovation to a vertical level of chains between the different levels of the system. So what we're saying, and, and I can give an example of a rule breaker in an INGO who invents a new way of promoting local accountability. So basically, she convenes the, the stakeholders engaged in one of the programs that I wouldn't say the international organization is doing. I think this is an example where community members and leaders of the community had come together and said, this is what we want to do. Can you support us? And then this uh, program manager said, well, I need to measure against some indicators, but let's do it differently. What if we convene 
a space where we all and you all engage in this process of saying, well, did we actually achieve what we wanted to achieve? And basically a local accountability, so accountable to whether this is meeting the needs of the local community and the problems that were identified to start with. Um, we're not speaking against this as a great example, but saying if that program manager then brings the results and the, the input from that local accountability mechanisms back into her own organization, the m and &E person will come and say, well, we can't quite do that because we already had a results-based framework. So, you know, challenged by merging these different frameworks, the, when reporting to the donor, uh, they will again meet challenges in saying, well, then you're actually not meeting what was agreed upon to begin with. So that's an example of, of why these innovations like this local accountability mechanism cannot be reproduced and may even, worst, worst case scenario, raise expectations among local community members and local peace builders that they're going to be listened to, but then meeting a system that actually cannot accommodate what they are bringing to the table and what they say works and what doesn't work. So that's why we argue that these two frameworks are complementary and also that we work both at the level of this chain of influence framework, but we also um, have a, a new publication and do ongoing work on collecting and sharing promising practices like the one Susanna Campbell brought out in this particular part of her book, but trying to tap into and understand these promising practices, describe them and share them with us in the system, and then uh, hoping that they can both be a source of inspiration for other others within international institutions and within uh, local peace building organization and local development organization, but not in and of itself. For broader systems change to happen, you need a chain of influence thinking that allows the next one trying to break the rules or innovate in the system to have a space for actually doing that in a sustainable way. And I think that's really very important to mention there that it's all about looking at who is next in the chain, who can actually make the changes that need to happen so that you can all as an organization or as an entity be able to support local peace builders in a sustainable way. Now we're going to listen to Leslie Connolly. She is the team leader for Global Policy at Life and Peace Institute Office in Nairobi. Leslie will share about how finance offices at country office are asking finance managers at HQ level to implement changes that will accommodate the needs of local actors. This process of internal organizational changes is a really good example of how the chain of influence thinking can be operationalized. But let's pay a listen. In thinking about how actors are working to influence our own organizations to implement needed changes to support locally-led peacebuilding, at the Life and Peace Institute, we have been considering how to build a broader range of champions to advance internal systems change. Typically, it has been program staff who are advocating for changing practices to address the barriers to meaningfully engage with local actors in our programs. 
However, recently we have started to work in closer collaboration with our finance and admin teams and country offices. By bringing our finance and admin teams into the inception of programs, implementation and evaluation of our work. In doing this, we find that we are able to create a better understanding of the partners we are working with, the goals we have, the challenges we face, and brainstorm jointly on solutions which allow us to meet both the necessary due diligence requirements as well as allow us to, as programs, to stay true to meeting our goal of engaging local peacebuilding actors in a more meaningful way. Through this approach, we have created a broad range of internal champions who are now advocating to their headquarters counterparts to shift the ways of working, which we hope will lead to a broader internal systems change as a whole. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe just drawing on what Leslie has just shared, uh, Mia, I wanted to hear a little bit more also on your own personal reflection more broadly as we are thinking about systems change and supporting local peace builders more broadly. What do you think is the main difference that this framework that we are proposing as CSP has from other frameworks? And if you can also think a little bit ahead, because there's a question that has also been at my mind, is how can this process be relevant in the current global system that we are in with the different changes that we are seeing happening, not only as a result of the pandemic, but everything that is happening around the world right now? Where do you see this, this framework fitting in, in trying to address current and uh, recent challenges we're facing? Well, I think that's a very broad question, and I, I probably will try and stick to changing international institutions uh, in relation to supporting and better supporting local actors and local leadership. And so I think it's important to also continue and, and build on Susanna Campbell's thinking about change agents. It's also something that conducive space for peace has emphasized many times that even though we you know we think about these systems and international institutions like the UN as big tankers, super tankers that cannot be moved. And you know many times I meet people who agree with me on what are the challenges of the system, but end up saying, well, but that we can't do anything about. But the thing here is that people develop the system and people can change the system. And so system change is both about changing the structures and the practices and the norms of institutions. And here, if you're, for example, a change agent, which could be this uh, program manager in a conflict-affected context that I mentioned before, um, there are several things that she can do. Uh, depending on on many things, but some are incentives, place in the system, capital, uh, internal uh, capital to raise things, but there are also disincentives. But but what she can do is do these kinds of innovation, develop these kinds of innovation, and share them with others. What she can also do is to engage with that next level to simply say, you know, uh, like Leslie was saying. Let's convene. Let's sit down and talk between the finance manager at country level and finance manager at headquarter level and see what can we actually do to change how this organization can be better at enabling local leadership. Some organizations are actually thinking through that 
approach mainly private foundations at this point. But what you would need to do in as a step further would also convince the leader of that organization to start, at least initiate a process where you kind of reverse this chain of influence and start looking at change from below in, in that institution with the, the needs of local leaders and local actors at the center. She can also, uh, that's the next and um, maybe fourth element, she can of course look at her own practices. How am I aligning to the values of equity, dignity, and so forth, embedded in the whole logic of the chain of influence framework and uh, systems change for locally led peace building? How can I change my personal practices, which both Susanna Campbell and Severin Otisser are discussing extensively how international actors sometimes have practices that underscores and enhances the inequity between international and local actors. So there are several ways of doing this. Also, you know, how can you do it in your partnership modality? How can you basically engage with partners in a way where you continuously think about the issues and the values of equity respect and continuously think about how can I engage in a mutual connection with reciprocity, mutual respect and shared learning, not coming from a perspective where you as an international actor is coming to tell anyone what to do or knowing more about that context. I mean, that's a ridiculous thought. How would an international actor know more about the context or even about peace building? So it's very much about sharing, it's about learning, it's about walking together and then redefining that whole, the, the whole logic of the power, in, in a sense, the logic of the power inequalities embedded in the way the system and the institutions currently work. Thank you very much, Mia, indeed. Thank you so much for highlighting the underlying values that uh, underpin this framework, that it's really about dealing with some of the inequalities and power imbalances that actually do not work to advance locally that peace building. I know we can take a long day to continue having this conversation. I've enjoyed hearing you and sharing with you. But uh, there is also one more question that I wanted to ask, and this is really related to our viewers and listeners who are listening to us today. Why is this change relevant now in the global trends? Well, it's, it's not that there's any difference in the importance of local peace builders, local actors. Everyone has known for years or maybe always that sustainable efforts in development and peace building will have to be based on local actors and the way they move things forward, the way they prioritize and so forth. That's why the core lies. I think with COVID-19, there's been some kind of realization among international organizations that since they cannot be on the ground, they have to rely much more on, on local actors. And in this way, you know, something that was apparent to many, but also to people within international organizations, suddenly became a necessary way of, of working. And so more emphasis on what some call localization and therefore uh, a push for systems change, but also because of, you know, global trends like Black Lives Matter that has influenced 
the development sectors and brought about discussions under the framework of decolonizing aid. Now, the last point may be related directly to the, the current global context and the Ukraine crisis, where there, there are now many discussions about how to bring about sustainable peace. How do we succeed? And this is also after Afghanistan. How to better succeed in, in promoting peace and sustainable peace? And it's a, a clear realization by many that so much support has gone to top-down efforts, so much support has gone to stabilization efforts. And now there has to start being more focused on long-term peace building and the role of local actors in that process. And yes, it does take time, but that is the condition of promoting a sustainable peace and development. And, and this is a very positive way to, to frame this because there are also geopolitical, strong, strong forces uh, focusing on security, of course, but also almost arms back to arms race and strengthening defense and military engagement in conflict, which can lead to some kind of stabilization, but it cannot lead to sustainable peace. Indeed. Now, it's really good that you shared it broad reflection on how this framework can actually be used or can be applicable in the current world that we're living in with all the challenges that we're facing, not only as uh, the Ukrainian crisis that you've mentioned, but more broadly, how can we be able to sustain peace in the long term? And I think that's a very important uh, reflection. And I know we can have this conversation even on and on. This has been really, really rich. Thank you so much for taking the time. But I'm just uh, aware that uh, we have uh, viewers as well who might be listening and who are asking, how can they be able to access this uh, publication? I wonder if you can share a little bit more on where they can access this reading. Well, um, I think you can access it multiple places uh, at this time because we're trying to share as broadly as possible uh, it's not important to, you know, to write and develop a publication. It's important whether it makes a difference and somebody reads it and can be inspired to, to contribute in the change process. But you can, of course, look at our website, which is conducivespace.org, but also in our social media uh, under the name Conducive Space for Peace, where you will find links to the publication. Thank you very much, Mia, and uh, looking forward to reading the publication. And as well, we invite our viewers and listeners, if you have any questions or comments after reading the publication, do not hesitate to write to us and we'd be glad to continue this conversation. Looking forward to hearing from you and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>